0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VGW Group, no purchase necessary. where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
0: From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for the interview that I did with Jim Clemente last week. And this this follow-up is going to be a little different. Zach and Mike and I are all remote. They are in Michigan. I'm in the desert. And we're going to be doing a portion of this episode on YouTube Live, which we've never tried to do before. So we'll see how this works out. So we have What do we have, Mike? Five or six questions from listeners from social media?
2: Yeah, six questions.
0: Yep, six questions from social media, uh, and then we'll get into any live questions that come in via YouTube. So we'll see how this works right after a break. Texas Ranger
1: James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer.
0: You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates.
2: And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special.
0: From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts,
1: Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All right, so we have started the YouTube live stream. I think, uh, guys, I think we can give ourselves a pat on the back for... The, uh, the, the ease at which we handled all this technology and got a live stream up and running.
3: You did a good job, honestly. I'm pretty proud of you. Yeah, good job, Bob. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, guys. So uh, so we do have YouTube Live going right now. Um, the way we're going to kind of try and format this is we do have some questions that have been sent in prior to the YouTube Live. We'll go through those, and then we'll jump into the chat on YouTube and answer some live questions. Uh, first thing, just to kind of update everybody on where we're at. So I'm out here in the desert. Uh, most people figured it out. If you haven't yet, I'm in, I'm in Southern California is where I'm at. So our next case is going to be in Southern California. We are not in Texas or Georgia <laughs> or Georgia, as Zach keeps telling everyone. We're definitely not in Georgia. Uh, and this trip, if I want to be honest with you, has been kind of a, a bummer. COVID has ruined this whole trip. <laughs> so, uh, Jim, because of COVID related issues, ended up having to cancel at the last minute. So I wasn't able to do the crime scene walkthrough with him. I had multiple interviews lined up that had to cancel due to COVID complications. It's just, it's been a, uh, I told my wife on, on Monday that I felt like I was having an anxiety attack because I am, I'm not being productive. This was not, there's just not much productivity happening this trip. So I'm a little, I'm a little bummed out, but it's my own fault. I should, as soon as Jim hit me up on Friday and told me he couldn't make it. And with all the COVID numbers, I probably should have looked into, uh, seeing if I could uh, reschedule the trip, but I thought it was just too late. I had already, i had already checked into my flight and everything. So yeah, we're going to make the best of it. I do have a uh, a pretty big, important interview scheduled for this afternoon. Today's Wednesday. It's my last day here. So if that works out, it'll make everything worthwhile. If that person cancels due to COVID, I'll probably flip this table over, have a temper tantrum, and then go get on my plane and go home. But uh, you win some, you lose some. Uh, already working on rebooking a follow-up trip to come back. I was actually just texting the gym right before right before we got on the stream and and he's definitely wanting to get out here and help me with the crime scene. He's gotta rebook another trip to do it. But uh yeah, I hope everybody I tell you what, I hope everybody's just, you know being safe, uh, right now. Cause this uh, evidently that this uh, this this variant that's going around is uh it's going everywhere. I've just I've throughout the entire pandemic I haven't dealt with this much these many complications due to it. It seems it just seems like everybody has it right now. So um, hopefully everybody's staying safe. With that being said, Mike, let's go ahead and get into our questions that came in before the stream.
2: Okay, uh, jumping into these questions we gathered from social media. Our first one's from listener Kelsey. She writes, okay, Bob, I'm dying here. When are we going to get a preview for season 12 and find out what the case is? I've been spending all my spare time researching cases in the deserts around Los Angeles. What do you think?
0: Uh, hopefully, honestly, well, I mean, this trip may have pushed that back a little bit. I may do, I may do some converting to just trying to contact some people via phone. The the, the problem is the reason in a lot of cases, it's important for me to get out in the field, especially in the early stages. Right now, no one associated with this case, other than the defendants and the people close to them know that we're doing it. And so that's the best time to get interviews with, say, um, uh, family members of victims or uh, potential persons of interest or suspects. They don't really know what's going on yet. They don't know. And and I've just found over the years that people are far less likely. It definitely happens to me on a regular basis, but people are far less likely to slam a door in your face than they are to hang up a phone or not call you back. So I've just, I just over the last six, seven years of doing this, I've found that I'm, it's a, I'm a lot more productive by knocking on someone's door and asking them if they're willing to chat with me than I am calling them. When I call them, the rude ones hang up. Uh, the not rude ones say, uh, "I'm busy right now. I'll call you back in a half hour," and then they never take your calls ever again. So I, th- there's a few people that I really want to talk to that I'm that I'm I'm missing that I was planning on hitting this trip. Uh, so that's pushing us back. I was I was really hoping to start this season like February first. It looks like that's not going to happen at this point. I'll probably make one more trip. So I'm kind of shooting for end of February, but I'm going to get, I do want to get a preview out, um, soon. So I'm not going to give you a, a, a confirmed date. Um, but I'm, I'll tell you this, I'm shooting to have a trailer out for this season in like the first week of February. So it'll at least give you guys some, you know, a little taste of what's coming. And, and I'm sure a bunch of you will do a bunch of pre research on the case, but I'll, I'll tell you this, the case is, you know, it's a, it's a good case. I feel pretty strongly about the defendant's innocence and, um, it's complex. It's interesting. There are so many layers. You know, the oftentimes when I have like Jim come to a profile for me, I've already looked at this case. I've already done, uh, what I think is a pretty good accident or a crime scene reconstruction. I've already done kind of my own analysis for a profile. Then I bring him in to see how that compares to mine. Uh, in this one, I've just, the reason uh, you know, I've been up to the crime scene multiple times. I've gone up twice this trip just wants just to go up in the dark to see what it looks like in the dark Uh, and just walk in it. Cause there's just, there's some complexities that make it. So I'm, I'm really having a hard time figuring out what happened due to the complexities you'll hear. And, and then, you know, everybody, everybody's wanting me to, to already that's connected to the case, you know? So who do you think did it? I'm like, well, I don't know what happened. So I don't know who did it yet, but it's, it's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a perfect, uh, the perfect case for the Truth and Justice Army because we need everybody's help on it. So, yeah, I promise your, your your patience will be rewarded, but it may be a few more weeks now because I've got to find another time to get back out here to, to take those final steps uh, before we're ready to launch.
2: Uh, I just saw, just looking at the feed, Gary asked if you're going to be able to talk to the person uh, convicted in this upcoming case, if you're going to be able to do interviews.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I've actually, you know, the, 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 according to the family, they're, they're ready to talk to me. I haven't spoken to them yet because I was waiting to, you know, I always want to know what the right questions are to ask them, but I'm there now. As a matter of fact, I just sent J-Pays out and I, I saw in the chat, someone said, defendants more than one. Uh, yes, more than one defendant. And I've, re- I've reached out to them, um, to start setting up the, the, the phone calls to, or to, to make the phone connection get it registered so I can start interviewing them too.
2: Okay, next we've got one from Kate. Curious what deserts Jim Clemente lives near in Georgia?
3: <laughs> uh, none. Yeah, I've been trolling people pretty hard on the, the fan page that the case is in Georgia. Nobody believes me, but it's still fun for me at least.
0: Oh, I don't know. I think this listener believes you. They're, they're, they're searching the topographical maps for
3: the Georgia <laughs> desert. For the Georgia desert. Tumbleweed's out yeah. there. You got to watch out. I tell you what, if
0: I, I I as I said, I'm in I'm in Southern California, but I can also tell you if you if you zoom out and look at a topographical map of Southern California, that doesn't really narrow it down much either. There's a lot of desert out here.
2: Alright, Corey says, Bob, how did you become acquainted with Jim? Are you friends outside of solving crime? If so, do you have any good Jim stories? And do you plan on working with Jim on any projects in the future?
0: Okay, so first I I came became acquainted with Jim during season one uh, of the Anand Syed case. Um, And if I remember correctly, I think Rabia made the connection. I think Jim was following Undisclosed. He followed Serial. And I think he might have reached out to them or somebody might have reached out to them and said, hey, this guy is a profiler. And, you know, he thinks he might be able to do a profile in the case. And if I remember correctly, the way it shook out was Essentially the undisclosed team is like, Oh, that's not really what we do. We work on legal documents. And so Robbie is like, why don't you talk to Bob Ruff? Because he does more of an investigative podcast as far as, you know, out on the crime scene investigating evidence more so. If you remember back in season one of undisclosed, it was more, you know, it's all about the transcripts and the legal documents because they're lawyers. So she connected us. Uh, we got together and did that case. And then. I don't know. We just kind of became fast friends, you know. We, you know, we we talked quite a bit after that. I asked a lot of questions. I think Jim liked the questions I was asking, and when I was, you know, sharing my thoughts on the case, you know, he, you know, you know at least from Jim's opinion, he, he thought I had kind of a knack for that kind of work, and he kind of just took me under his wing and and worked on um, kind of mentoring me. You know, he, you know, he said, if you're interested in doing this, I can I can help you learn more. That he would send me like case files and tell me, you know, take a look at this one and tell me what you see. And then I would, you know, through it all through like email. And then I would go through it and said, well, this is kind of my take on it. And then he would, you know, he'd call me and walk through. He's like, well, this is what you missed. This is what you got right. This is what you got wrong. And then, uh yeah, we just kind of became friends. And then the next, when I started um, having to fly out to L.A. to pitch the TV series before we did it, you know, the I told Jim I was coming out and he wanted me to, he's like, well, hey, why don't you come by and have dinner with me sometime while you're in town? And so I did. And that's when I happened to stumble into when I landed and I went to his house, happened to be the day that he and Laura and Lisa were recording the very first episode of Real Crime Profile. So that's kind of, you know, story always tell that I was, you know, I he invites me to his house. I walk in and here's Laura Richards and Lisa Zambetti. And they were, they were having pizza and talking about, you know this podcast and what they wanted to do, and we were kind of brainstorming. I was helping them brainstorm, picking the names and stuff. And then I watched them go into the booth and record the record the first episode. So, yeah. So is, do, is, do we have you know friendship outside of solving crime? Yeah, now for sure we do. We talk all the time. You know, do, you know whether you know either about cases or about productions that we've you know we've worked on or we want to work on, and sometimes just to. Just to catch up, you know Jim will Jim sits in traffic a lot, so I'll occasionally get a call from Jim just wanting to just wanting to chat about whatever or I'll call him i was I was just reaching out to him before we got on here just to see how he was feeling from the the whole COVID issue, which by the way he said he's feeling he's feeling he's feeling good now funny jim stories the all the the funniest jim story I can think of off the top of my head was uh years back, Jim got involved with someone who was a listener of my show i didn't know this was happening but this person had kind of used my name to get into jim's good graces like reached out to him and was like hey i'm a friend of bob ruff's and i've got this idea to do a podcast with you uh on your network And so Jim kind of he's like, Oh, well, a friend of Bob's, whatever. And he, and he's, he, he starts working with this person. And then I, I found out about it when Jim called me and he's like, Hey, do you actually know this person? And I was like, Oh yeah, I know that person. That person's not like, they're not (laughs) stable. That's not a, that's not a person that why? And he's like, i I'm like partnering up with this person to do a podcast with them. And I'm realizing, and then the funny part of the story was when Jim said, why the hell wouldn't you warn me that this person was crazy? And I said, you're a fucking profiler. Why do I have to, like, why in the world would I think that I needed to tell you that this person is, is not stable and you shouldn't work with them? So that was. That was the that was my funny chip story.
2: Alright. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Um trying to figure out where I'm at here. Okay, this one's from Nancy. Uh she's got two questions. A serious question and a fun question. Serious question is what clues led to the conclusion that the older DC shooter, this is what Jim was talking about in the interview, that the older DC shooter was sexually abusing the younger.
0: Jeez, I don't remember. Um what was it? uh call me god so the the audible original that covered the dc case which is fascinating uh was called call me god i think something to that extent it's an audible original listen to it it's got vi- surviving victims speaking it's got the investigators who investigated the case speaking jim himself talking about uh you know his work on the case and the profile of the case off the top of my head, I mean, it's been a while. It's been a couple of years since I listened to that one. I don't remember how he came to that conclusion, but it's, it's, it's very clearly laid out in the Call Me God Audible original.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at
1: LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void word prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Okay, and for Nancy's fun question, does he ever use his skills at reading people as a Sherlock Holmes type party trick?
0: (laughs) Not that I've seen, but I'll tell you that uh, my wife, Becky, is... Is terrified when she's in the room with him. Like we've had many, many times we've all, we, you know, we've had dinner together with Jim and we've hung out with Jim together. And she said, every, Jim and Laura both, she said, every time I'm around them, all I think is that they're, that they're peering into my, deep into my brain and analyzing me and I'm afraid to talk.
3: I was honestly just thinking that myself. I mean, I haven't met Jim, but I'm already terrified to meet the guy because I just, I know he's going to look right through me.
0: <laughs> right, Mike, you've, had, you've, you've met Jim a couple times with me, right?
2: You know, he's he's a human being. He's a nice guy, you know?
0: Yeah. If you didn't know, I mean, you 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 tell me from your perspective, Mike, but if you didn't know what he did, you just think that he's just a really nice, outgoing dude.
2: Yeah, absolutely. To me, he comes across as maybe somebody that, you know, he wouldn't want you to be uptight around him like that, especially if you're meeting him for the first time.
0: Right, yeah, not at all, but but definitely Becky's here. Not Mike. Mike's like, go ahead, look in there. I'm dead inside. You'll never see anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> look into my dead eyes. <laughs> oh
3: <laughs> my goodness.
0: Kidding, Mike. I kid because I love.
2: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see.
3: Let oh, well, Bob's broke. Huh? I said Bob's broke.
0: just something about the way you said, all right. <laughs> <I can't laughs>
3: yeah.
2: All right, kids. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, All right, 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 children. Enough fun and games. Lynn says, What singular thing convinced you that now is the time to seek truth and justice when you choose to deep dive into the West Memphis Three case? Long unsolved cases fall out of the daily awareness of most of us. I just wonder what triggered your desire to act. Glad to hear Jim C. publicly recognize that you're responsible for the current movement in the case.
0: Um, if you mean like going back to when I started covering the case, the deep dive on the podcast was a few years ago. Um, I've talked about this before, but it was, so I, I study wrongful convictions. Like that's my free time activity. I'm trying to, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to unplug more now than I used to, but, um, especially back then, I was always looking at other, you know, kind of famous wrongful convictions cases because I was trying to study how it happened and look for patterns and things like that. And so I, you know, I, I was a few years into doing the podcast and i had heard of the West Memphis Three case, but I actually didn't know anything about the West Memphis Three case, like very, very little about it. So I decided to watch the documentaries. I watched all three Paradise Losts. I watched West of Memphis. And of course, I'm just outraged and just like, this is crazy. This case is nuts and when i got done i was describing the case it might have been to mike i don't remember it was either mike or becky and it, and and it occurred to me after just watching hours of documentary footage and this is not a jab at the documentary i'm sure these the info, i know the information was in there but i just didn't click to me it wasn't important enough through the storytelling method that it clicked to me i realized i didn't know the victim's names i i just watched over 4 hours of documentary about a case with three victims and I couldn't tell you any, of the, you know, like, I think I remembered for some reason, Stevie stuck out to me, but I couldn't remember Christopher and Michael. And then it bugged me for a little while. I was kind of mad at myself. Like, how did I, how did I watch all this and not pay any more attention to the victims than that? Like that's, it goes exactly against everything that I stand for. How did I, how did I, how did I let that happen? And it was bugging me. And then I started really thinking more and more about the case. And then I went back and I watched them again. Then I went onto to like Callahan and started looking through the, the case documents. And it occurred to me, I wasn't the only one that wasn't paying attention to the victims. The West Memphis Police Department wasn't paying attention to the victims. Which means there was never, and the documentaries weren't really paying a whole lot of attention to the victims. Which to me made it, so based on what Jim has taught me, that a proper investigation has really never been done, because a proper investigation always starts with a deep-dive study of victimology. And I thought, I wonder if we can go back to the beginning and do a proper investigation. So all, all the other work that was done, right, was always the three are in prison, and so we're investigating to find out if there's new evidence out there that can get them out of prison. Whereas I wasn't looking through the legal routes, I'm just like, well, let's go back to the beginning and start the investigation from the beginning and see where it goes. But that's where it, that's where it started, and and I'll tell you the 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 re. When I decided to pull the trigger on it was when I was going through the case files, and I came across the notes where Bobby Posey, where police had talked to Bobby Posey, and he said that Christopher had told him that his daddy had whipped him and that he was running away. That's when I decided. That was the moment in time when I decided to launch the season of Truth and Justice, the podcast on the case, and then which then of course led to the TV series. Because I really, I read that and I thought that is that's huge for victimology. That's massive. What's always been presented to me, at least the way I perceived it, was that these three boys were out playing and stumbled into something. But then I see that the police, there, there was a note in the police file that says one of them had been whipped by his dad and that he was running away. That's a very different mindset. That's a very different set of circumstances when it comes to victimology. And I just thought, number one, people need to know this. And number two, if, if, if they missed that, what else did they miss? I think it's worth breaking down and, and spending a year is what we did telling the full story. And, and from there, I, I, I decided to, my goal was to create the most encompassing, deep dive, detail oriented coverage of the case that's ever existed. And so we, you know, we put, I, I believe we did that. I don't know if it's the best. It may not be the best out there, but I can tell you that there is, I mean, there's like a hundred hours of podcasts. I was breaking down every minute detail of the case. And so that's where it started
3: i you know I really enjoyed the fact that you broke down the possibility of there being a fourth boy, and you know you talked about it in the TV show you actually you actually found the gentleman that you thought possibly could be the fourth boy and and that's something that never was really touched on before was was anybody else anybody that could have possibly had a connection with the younger boys
0: it 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 just seemed to me when I read it that it was like the original investigating officers came up with their theory and then just only looked into anything they ignored everything that didn't fit the theory and then you know as you know the episodes where we did the timeline, we broke down the victimology. We found that there was a very set of, first of all, the three weren't together most of the day. You know, there was, there was Michael and, or uh, Michael and Stevie were here. Christopher wasn't with them. Maybe Christopher connected. There was a fourth boy that hooked up with him at some point. Stevie went home. At one point, Michael's seen without Christopher. We have all these sightings where they're not together the whole time. And then Christopher's running away. And then they seem to meet up and then go off into, into the hills.
2: Okay, this last one's from Sherry. Since the West Memphis system has been so hellbent on keeping this evidence from getting tested and exonerating the three, even through numerous changes of hands in the case, can we really trust that they wouldn't sabotage the evidence somehow that distorts the findings? I know that sounds super conspiratorial. That's a word? That's right. Okay. but they lost all credibility years ago. The truth doesn't matter; just protecting their own asses. I can see how, within the knots on the bindings themselves, it would be hard to alter that. Yet they've already shown they have no ethics.
0: I mean, it's kind of like we we kind of have to trust them, right? I mean, there's nothing we can do. I is there a concern? Yeah, I mean, I'm not super concerned about that. I'm not super concerned about them going in and screwing with the evidence or trying to mess up results. I'm, I'm more I'm more worried that that Cressman's going to go back on his word and not allow the not not agree to let the evidence be tested. You know, so that that process that I broke down last week, you know, when he took office, he said he has no problem testing the evidence. He's a truth and justice kind of guy. But whoops, the evidence is gone. And they were like, no, no, the evidence is here. It's right there. And now where we're at right now is we're waiting for. Cressman to respond. You know, the the attorneys have said, you know, that that I think they gave him a time limit, even to whether to to say whether he's going to agree to it or not. And if he's not, then then there'll be a petition going before the court soon, and and then and then the fight will be on. And and then I don't know what the non's position will be after that when the actual motion is filed with the court to test the evidence through as through proper procedure. Sure, they'll have to pivot their narrative from there. But at this point, I just want to get it tested. I mean. We just got to get it to the lab and get it tested. the The, the end is so close right now. So, the, or the the truth is so close.
3: My biggest concern is just getting it out of their custody. I I honestly feel like that's huge. If we can get it out of their custody to the lab, we're right. we're making big strides. Grayson
0: on YouTube. Grace and asked, "How long does the process take for everything to be tested?" Uh, it depends. You'll know, we'll have to ship it there. And uh, I think you know, when I was there a couple of years ago. The the analyst Suzanne Ryan said that you know the, the actual testing process, to test and get results only takes a couple of weeks. Just depends on when we can when we can get it to them um, and going on. So Joe P on on YouTube says, "Can he block it legally?" He can't block it. So the the way the the, the way the process works is the prosecutor is the custodian of the evidence prosecutor can test they own the evidence they can test it whenever they want to so when a defendant wants to test evidence the process through the the legal system says the first thing they have to do is go to the prosecutor and say hey can we test this evidence because we, you know, the whole system is designed to keep ta- to, to not waste the court's time and money so the idea would be that the prosecutor would be like yeah sure let's test it we'll send it out or you pay if, as long as you're paying for it let's do it and then if the so what he can do is he can not agree He could say, no, I'm not going to just let you test it. So then the next step is they file a petition with the court and with the court and they request the court to order the DA to send the evidence for testing. The bummer about that, I mean, God, at this point, we're 27, 28 years into this. Uh, So you could say what's another couple of years, but God damn it, let's, you, you know, that process in court could take a long time. It took a long time back in 2007, took a long time prior to 2011. You know, when Ellington was fighting, trying to get them not to be able to test the evidence, and the court ruled in their favor and allowed them to test it. And that's when the hair, the hair that, that Terry Hobbs can't be ruled out of was found in Michael Moore's binding. That evidence was all ordered, that testing was all ordered by a judge. So, so if, essentially, if Cressman doesn't allow us to do the testing, then it's just going to drag this thing out. We're going to have to go to a court and request the court. And, and, and And I can guarantee you the argument that the prosecutor will make is that this is not a timely request. They'll say, well, you know, they've had 10 years since their guilty plea. Why are they waiting just now doing it? Personally, I'm not a lawyer, but I think we win that argument on a couple of grounds. The first ground being the fact that this is new technology that wasn't didn't exist. Yes, in 2011, MBAC was in existence. It wasn't peer reviewed. It wasn't being used in court systems yet. Uh, and certainly was not an accepted testing method in Arkansas. Um, it wasn't until about 2014 before it started to get any adoption and use, but even, but it was still not, not well known in Arkansas. And it was certainly not like we can prove through, you know, we have like the emails and things where we can prove when I brought the MVAC technology to the legal team you know so that that's part of how so like depositions might work in this case if they're trying to prove well it's not like they knew about it and they just waited till now that it was in 2019 when I presented to them hey here's this new method and you can see their response never heard of it what is it explain it to me and and so we we can show that also we can i think that we can make the argument based on the depositions of Ellington and Crushman specifically Ellington where he agreed to test it. I mean, I don't know what they're trying to pull here, but, I mean, we have his emails where he said, yes, we can test this evidence. Yes, I'm happy to do it. What's the, you know, what do you want to send? Give me a list. We gave him the list. Okay, I'm going to have somebody package it. Give me the FedEx. We have all those email correspondences from Ellington. So I think it would be very difficult for the DA now to argue that that they didn't request this in a timely manner when Ellington didn't think there was an issue with timing because he agreed to test it, and then he disappeared. And then you can throw in the deception on the part of Cressman, where we have Cressman on record saying, yeah, he has no problem testing it. Again, no argument against timely. He didn't say, no, if you waited too long, I'm not agreeing to this. He said, sure, you can test it, but it's lost. And then we have this whole process of them Lying and hiding the truth about where the evidence was. And then finally, they're ordered to to turn it over. And we find out it was never lost to begin with. And now they want to go back and make an argument that, well, he can't do this because it's been 10 years. I think they lose that argument as my non legal opinion.
3: Does the MVAC technology, I mean, is that all in the same lab as where the testing would be done? Like the collection process is the same lab that the testing would be done?
0: Yeah, they're two different buildings. One of the buildings, or two different labs. One of the labs is for MBAC collection, and then the other one is for the DNA testing.
3: Yeah, I'm looking through these
0: these questions.
3: There was a good one earlier from listener Rachel asking, do you think the way you cover a case has changed since you started because of the publicity? For instance, because people are aware of true crime podcasts.
0: Is the way that I cover them changed? Um <laughs> What's changed the most is that I can actually tell people that I'm making a podcast from two, you know, when I would interview people in 2015, i was just like, yes, yeah, so I'm doing a story and I was wondering if I could talk to you and would you mind if I record it? And they're like, what's this for? And I'm like, well, it's for a podcast. What's a podcast. It's an audio project. Whereas now it's more mainstream. The person I'm interviewing later today when I spoke with her, you know, she's like, okay, well, I can, you know, I've, I've got a couple-hour drive right now. I can talk to you now. And I was like, well, it's for a podcast, so I'd like to record you locally if I can. And she's like, okay, cool. I'll be back Wednesday. But no, it really hasn't changed changed much at all. Uh, Don McElhaney, uh, who I affectionately refer to as Doug, wants to know what a rough ballpark figure on cost of testing. I don't know. Uh, one, one thing that we did uh, when we spoke with the lab and got all this stuff set up, we know that if we are able to test this evidence, it is probably our last chance. So it's not like we can send a couple items, and if we don't get a result, then we can ask again to send a couple more items. You know, the West Memphis Police Department and the NDA's office has been trying to hide the truth in this case for a damn near 30 years. So she suggested that if they are agreeing to test the evidence, that essentially we send everything. And once they have everything in the possession of the lab, She's agreeing. I don't know if this is how they normally do it, but to go through then and give us a cost estimate on what, you know, a a, a line item cost estimate as to what it would cost to test everything. And then from there, we can see how much money we can, we can raise and we can, you know, or or we can, we can pick and choose and cross some things out that we don't think should be tested or, and she'll do the same. I really have no idea. I've, I've had in my mind just knowing how much other DNA testing costs from, from much smaller uh amounts of evidence to be tested and and i i have a number in my head that, that uh, of around a hundred thousand dollars
1: hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void are prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion
0: professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and
1: experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash
0: spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
3: So on the same lines, there's another listener that's asking, Bethany's asking, um, why do you think that they're blocking this or why do you think they're holding it up? Do you think they're trying to save face? Do you think they're trying to stop from being sued? Do you think they're protecting the murderer? I mean, what's your opinion on that?
0: I don't know. I don't think they're protecting the murderer. I know there's a lot of people that say that maybe there's someone in the inside. I don't think that Cressman or Scott Ellington is trying to protect a murderer. I think more than anything, they're trying to protect their reputation. They're trying to protect their pocketbooks and trying to and, and trying to save face. I, I think. I, I I don't know. And, and I and I feel like you know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago that. It's like everything is just trickling down. Everybody's covering for the guy before him, and like the police chief losing his job was just you know he was the guy without a seat when the music stopped, and that's why yeah I thought I really you know I'm, I'm really still hoping that Cressman will just say fine test it you know it's like it's like how long is this going to go on how long can you guys keep hiding for the truth how much damage are you willing to do to your reputation to protect the assholes that came before you Cressman's got no. Got no skin in this game. He's been the DA for a year. And so anything he's trying to protect, he's trying to protect, at this point, probably Ellington, and then all the way back to Fogelman and and Judge Barnett and the original Gary, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the name, the the detectives that worked on the case.
3: Gary Gitchell.
0: Gary Gitchell. um, You know, these guys from, from way back then. I mean, I mean, his reputation has already been severely damaged. And if he then turns around and says, after we finally found the evidence that goes back on his word, when he said that he would test it if we had it, you, you know, I don't know what his aspirations are after this, but I mean, for the world to see, he's a lying piece of shit. You know, and I just don't know, like, how far is someone willing to go? affecting their own reputation to protect the reputations of those that came before them. I don't know the answer to that. Uh,
3: I think they just keep hoping that it'll go away. No matter how hard they try, I mean, it hasn't gone away, but I think they just keep hoping that it'll go away, especially with the resignation of the police chief, which we all know, I mean, we all feel that he was fired because of this, even though they're saying it wasn't. I I think that they just keep hoping it'll go away, And, and we just can't let it go away. That's a huge deal.
0: I definitely think that the, the 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 claim that the uh the evidence was lost was an attempt to get them to go away. You know, and, and there's a th- and that's when I say like I don't think they think they're protecting a murderer. Maybe Cressman thinks, and that police chief thought they're like, well, maybe you know, because because you see the nons out there spewing this whole this is all a PR stunt. They don't really want the testing done. And so I think what they did is they took a gamble. They're if, they're like, well, maybe if Damien really is guilty. Then if we just say the evidence is lost, he'll be like, Oh, shucks. And then we can all move on with our lives. I think they, and then of course it backfired on him because Damien is innocent and Damien desperately does want the evidence tested and he's, he's going to continue to fight to do so until we, until we get it done. To be honest with you, I'm hoping that, that we can make an, an update, update episode for the Oxygen TV series. Just, just, just going through where we're at till now. You know, the episode, the 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 series ended with my call to action to put pressure to get the testing done. I think it shouldn't be. I think this shouldn't be narrowed down to social media and into the podcast even. Like, I would like to take it to put it on. Like, I would, I, I, I would do it for for free, not really, but not enough to 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 cover you know to, to cover my bills. But to do another episode, just to put it out there, like. Hey, if you're going to continue this bullshit, then we're going to keep telling the world in the loudest, most powerful voices that we have. You will not continue to hide from this. All right. On YouTube Live, we have from Akshay Thacker. Says, are you aware of any efforts to solve wrongful convictions in a scalable way? Changes in laws, for instance. Are there lobbyist organizations we can support? There's a lot of legislation being done to try to help this on the front end. For example, I had on True Crime Binge a while back, Laura Nyrider. Uh If you watched Making a Murderer, you'd be familiar with her. She's been a lot of other shows, too. She represents Brendan Dassey, not Steve Avery. Uh, but she just helped push through in Illinois some legislation that makes it illegal for police to lie to minors during interrogation. Which, think about that. That's where our system is at. We have to, in 2021, make a new 22. law. Two. Well, this happened in 21. Don't you guys feel silly now.
3: But it, um, but has it happened yet? Yeah,
0: it happened. Yeah, okay. We signed a new okay. law, uh, actually the week that I had her on the show. But that we have to make a law, a new law, making it illegal for police officers to lie while trying to manipulate children into confessing—that wasn't illegal before. Think about that. Which is again, is why I teach your kids if they're ever questioned by the police for any reason, even if they're a witness, they say all they're all there to say to them is, "I want my parents and I want a lawyer." And that's it. Joe P says she's going to end up with a heart condition. Discussing the case with these nods. Yeah, it's best just to block them and move on uh, because you just, you can't fix stupid. Uh, was that too mean? I don't care. I'm I'm over it at this point. I'm over being diplomatic with these assholes at this point. Uh, it really frustrates me as a Brit that you can't, this is from Andrew S., can't just raise this with your government representatives to be discussed and potentially investigated at the highest possible level. Yeah, there's a lot of red tape. I mean, you can, you can go to the governor of Arkansas, uh, and ask for him to put pressure on, but, but, you know, we have a, here we, we have a division of, of power for reasons. It's for checks and balances. So the judicial system and the executive branch. So in, in the state of Arkansas, the governor would be the executive branch. Uh, the court system obviously is the judicial branch. They are there to check and balance each other. So it's, it's, the 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 governor can't really make the courts do anything all the governor could do is like issue a pardon or something like that to drop the convictions but but you know by design the government or the 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 executive branch can't control and the legislative branch can't control the judicial branch because they're supposed to check and balance each other
3: so robin had a good follow up to your your conversation about the law where you can't lie to a minor where the police officers can't lie to a minor she says, is there any actual consequences that come from that?
0: I think there is with this new law, because I, I think that was, if, you, if go check out True Crime Binge, the episode with Laura Nyreiter, I don't remember the number, but the episodes are titled by the guest's name. She explains it in there, but I, I believe that was part of it, was giving was making it law and giving it some teeth to where it very clearly was laid out to, if you do that, then anything that was said by them is is thrown out. Unlike the law in Texas that says that if you're, if you're questioning a minor as a suspect, you have to make a reasonable attempt to notify a parent before taking the statement. And they don't do that. And in fact, lie to the mother and say it's not happening and clearly broke the law, but there's no consequence to the law. The confession still stays.
3: Well, and you have that whole, that whole issue of they say reasonable. What, you know, reasonable is so up in the air. It could mean anything. I mean, he could make right. an argument that he made a reasonable attempt, even though he did not.
0: Well, yeah, well, the, the issue with, with, um, the Jeff Lee case was they couldn't even make that argument because Jackie called and we have a time stamp on the call because she was eating her dinner when she called. She was eating her hamburger when she called, which is right after they got back from reading the Miranda warnings. So the, he can't say he made a reasonable attempt to tell her because she called and they spoke to him. You know, the detective testified that, yeah, she called. I talked to her. So, you know, they, they had her right there on the phone. They they couldn't say that it wasn't reason he made a reasonable attempt, but it didn't matter. Joe wants to know if anybody has uh, how's it going with the, with the list of contacts for social media for the West Memphis case. Has anyone volunteered? Um, I, I've been on the field. Mike, has anybody sent in anything? Volunteered to handle that. I see some people are posting some stuff, but nobody's.
2: As far as emails go, uh, right now I haven't I haven't seen any. No.
0: Yeah, no. So Joe, jump in. You can. You're more than welcome to jump in and do that. And, all, and again, all we're looking for is if somebody can put together, you know, like a one sheet or list that we can pin to the the podcast fan page and other social media where people know here's here are numbers you can call, here are places you can write letters, here are places you can send emails, here are social media accounts that you can comment, test the evidence on. And I've seen several listeners posting where they have been te- where they've been commenting on some social media for the hashtag test the evidence. All right, so last question. We're going to do from from live. Then we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, Amy wants to know if there's any updates on Sandy's case. There's not, as of right now, at least nothing really I've heard of. You know, I think there was some testing done. I know Kathleen Selmer is still working hard on the case with the Conviction Integrity Unit in in Harris County. Remember, her case is very, very new. You know, Sandy was only convicted a few years ago, so you know we're still. I, I don't even think her, her direct appeals are over yet to even get to the habeas phase of it. While we're already working on the habeas phase, but. So Zellner's office is working on that. I don't. I haven't heard any updates uh, from there. I haven't heard that anything big has happened in that case.
3: Hey, J- Joe just mentioned that she added a thread to the fans page and can a- if you can ask people to add to that. And I'm guessing it's for the social media.
0: Yeah. So there you go. So uh, look on the Facebook fan page. Joe has started a thread where people
3: can can put stuff in there,
0: um, add to that thread of w- what social media is to contact West Memphis Three case. Uh, and as far as that goes, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. I do have hopefully one big interview to record today out here in the desert for season twelve. Tomorrow, I am heading for home. Uh Thank you to all of you who joined us in the YouTube live. Let us know in the comments if you if you like this format. Um, it's definitely easier for us when we are remote like this. Not so much. I will have to figure some th- figure out how we can do it when we're live in the studio because we don't have three cameras all set up like this, but. But anyway, I've enjoyed it. Um, enjoyed interacting with all of you guys. This Sunday's episode remind me, Mike. This is Josh Hallmark, right? Yep. Yep. So uh, make sure you tune in on Sunday. I've got Josh Hallmark, the host of the True Crime Bullshit Podcast, uh, is going to be on this Sunday's episode, talking about um, a pretty massive discovery and a big win that uh, that he had through his work uh, investigating the Israel Keys murders and trying to find the victims. So make sure to check out uh, Josh this Sunday and then we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, everybody.
3: Thanks, guys. See you guys later. Bye, Danielle. I'll see you next weekend.
0: And a big thank you to our transcription team. Pamela Westby, Kathy McElaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yomnik, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com truthandjustice. perfect setup i'm set up perfectly
3: oh good it's about time you did something did you go golfing while you're in georgia i didn't i didn't bring my golf clubs. Oh, i wish i had you. uh <laughs>
0: because it would have been more productive than the way this trip has worked
3: i bet golfing and golfing in georgia right now would be really nice
0: yep i don't know if you guys know this but i'm not in stop georgia.
3: he's in georgia don't let him fool you